Just about everyone thinks planning is out of date and needs root and branch reform, but ask people to give examples of what's wrong, and many revert to rather vague recollections, but little by way of detail, with government now looking to streamline the planning system and the much publicised rejection of an application by Kell Properties on the old nuisance site, Perspective talks to architectural historian Peter Kelly, planning chair David Ashford MHK and Kell Properties representative Michael Josum. Michael Josum explains his interest. My, my name is Michael Josum. I'm involved in various community organisations and so my primary interest here uh, is as a millennial who expects to live on the Isle of Man for the next 50 years or so, I think one of the most important things we do is we address the housing crisis. Unfortunately, over the last 15 years, the number of houses being built per year on the Isle of Man has fallen in half. Uh, and I think it's really important that we have enough housing and shelter for humans to live in happily, healthily uh, and successfully. And and are you representing Kell Properties in some way as well? Yeah, so I've, I've served as a representative of Kell Properties who, who wanted to reinvest and rehabilitate um, what many people know is the former nuisance site down on uh, the quay in Douglas. And in, in terms of redevelopment and building more houses, uh, what do you think is fundamentally wrong, if anything, uh, with the planning system? Well, fundamentally, the problem is that we don't have enough houses in our towns and we have seen that in, in, the, in the context of, of this discussion to and consideration to rebuild and rehabilitate the former nuisance site in that here's a site that is the building is literally falling down it is literally decrepit it is literally uh, an eyesore uh, and it's really important that if we are going to build enough high quality environmentally sustainable homes and we need to do that and that that requires building the things and that, there's no there's no other way if we want to put a shelter over people's heads we need to have enough homes for people to live in and that's that is I think the key challenge because I think the people of the Isle of Man have so much potential and I want to leave a better place for for my children and my future grandchildren uh, because I think it's really important to build a, a better future for the Isle of Man. Peter Kelly, um, you, you've you've had a very active interest in in, in buildings over over some years. Do you, do you want to give us a little bit of a flavour of of, of how you speak with some level of authority on these topics, and um, then we can move into the the, the topic of the day about uh, the planning system. Right. Well, I'm Peter Kelly. I hope to live here for the next 50 years. And um, my involvement with um, buildings and planning goes back to when I started to serve my articles on the 4th of January 1965, so I had 57 years experience of the planning committee or committees and planning system I suppose on the island. Um, I am quite used to um, proposals coming forward to modernise the planning system. Um, going back to 1965 it was a straightforward thing, there were no fees or anything, you put your plans in, filled in the form and probably a month later uh, you got your results and the way it worked within the department um, was that the plans were stamped up as received they were put in an envelope and on the front of the envelope they wrote what the application was and then when the planning officer and there was only the head planning officer and one assistant at one time then two assistants uh, would look at it and write on the front of the envelope recommend approval conditions and write the condition and that was it that's all they did um, and then you got your result um, as time has gone on it's a bit like I suppose in the nursing profession 
now that nurses say, oh, well, if you're a sister, you're a ward manager, and you've got all this paperwork, and, and this is what happens in, um, in, in the planning. Um, things take an awful long time to go through, or can do, um, because there's a lot of paperwork. Now, there's reference there to nuisance. The um, uh, building officer who, who dealt with it, the planning officer, wrote a 56-page report on that application. And you don't write a 56-page report in a day. You know, so times that by several, and, and that's what's been the delay. Um, sometimes um, it does mean that things are looked at thoroughly. Some years ago, they brought in a fast-track area which was basically the promenade over as far as Greensalt Corner, Strand Street, back and in Victoria Street. So any application that came in for there was fast-tracked, or supposedly. Um, some years ago, I, I queried in the planning office what happened to the fast-track system. What fast-track system? It, it was forgotten. And I don't know that it ever actually worked. Um, so there have been these attempts to improve things. But what, what has happened, another example, bringing in permitted development. So with permitted development, if you want to put a shed up or a greenhouse or something, then you don't need planning permission unless you're in a conservation area. And then there are certain requirements, putting fences up in front of your house if it's over a metre then in the front, yes, you do need permission. Uh, if it's behind the building line, you, you, you don't. But I'm, I'm noticing more and more in the planning list each week that there are applications for sheds and there are applications to turn a window into a patio window, which again, under the exemptions, were exempt. Uh, but it just seems that, uh, I, th I think it's a case of if you ask, do I need permission, you're told, well, you better, you better apply. Um, but what the um, permitted development has resulted in, and this is changing the subject completely, uh, buildings have been extended. And you can have a solid extension, you know, not just a lean-to, uh, on it up to a certain area. So when they have been done, they miss the system of getting passed on to the rating office. So there are houses that have got bigger um, and still rated the same uh, as as they were, and, and you know, local authorities have been missing out, etc., because of this relaxing of of the system. But but that's uh, a diversion, I'm afraid. But um, it's hard to say how you could improve it, um, other than taking away some of the tick boxes. And if you take that away, then you may be endangering yourself of things going through that perhaps shouldn't. David Ashford, uh, you've taken over the, uh, the, the the relatively easy and politically hassle-free uh, role of, of being chair of the uh, planning committee. Um, what I suppose people might think from the title is that you have abilities way beyond those that you actually have. Uh, in reality, as chair of the committee, you do just that you chair the committee uh, I suppose you can make recommendations to political colleagues who have responsibility for things like planning policy um, but ultimately you are there to follow the policy that is set 
and uh, the law of, of the land. Yes, I mean, uh, I, these jobs seem to follow me, Phil. Uh, I always seem to get the good posts. Um, <laughs> in relation to being chair of planning, you're quite correct. Um, it's a very different role to sometimes the way people perceive it to be. So it is being purely that chair in the committee and you are one vote on that committee. Um, you have a casting vote if the rest of the committee's tied and it's equal. Um, but other than that, you are one vote. And my role is slightly different as well to what it's been previously because you mentioned there about planning policy. Certainly in recent history, the um, chair of the planning committee has also been the political member in DEFA with responsibility for building control um, and also planning policy. I haven't actually joined DEFA. I've purely actually become chairman of planning. Um, but in some ways that makes it freer for me to speak out about planning policy in general, something that um, I've had quite an interest in for a long number of years, even back to when I was on the local authority on Douglas Council. Um, and I've had some quite ingrained views on the way I think planning needs to move forward. I think at the moment the system is overly bureaucratic. I think Peter was quite correct when he touched on the fact that people go into the system and then they seem to get stuck. Um, and there seems to be an awful lot more paperwork and paper trails following things than personally, I believe, is necessary even in a modern planning system. And I, I worry that actually we put off developers because Michael made a very good point as well, which is why you know one of the things we need to do to drive forward is to build the houses of the future um, if we are going to grow the population as is government's ambition to 100,000 we need not just family homes but we actually need homes that are affordable as well and that will have to come from new builds and if builders and individuals feel that they're not getting what they want from the planning policy they won't come here it's as simple as that one of the, the last conversations I had as planning minister with a very prominent uh, developer on the island uh, went along the lines of, actually, the planning system, the Isle of Man, is much freer and much more likely to deliver us swift results than any of the planning systems that we use uh, across the water. Um, is, is it sometimes uh, just like one of these things where politicians... Uh, just know that it, somehow the planning system is the problem, but they can't really put their finger uh, on specifically what it is that they think the problem is. Well, well I've been quite clear in what I think uh, the problem is. I mean, I, I think certainly we need to incentivise more around brownfield sites. Um, brownfield sites, particularly some of the ones in the Douglas area, can be very difficult to develop because they're already built on on different sides. So there's not really an incentive there for developers to go for those sites. Um, I think we need to incentivise that more. We need to have more permitted development, I think, in that side. If you speak to developers about the system in the UK, one of the things is, that depending on where that developer is, they get different results. Because we have to remember that in the UK, first stage planning rests with the local authorities. And I speak to developers who operate here and also in the UK. And I think what frustrates them in the UK is they get a mixed system depending on which local authority they're dealing with some local authorities in the uk at that first stage planning are very efficient in pushing things through and others are you know you'll go round and round the circle time and time again um, so i think one of the things developers do like over here is they are dealing with one system um, and one central um, authority rather than the mix of authorities in the uk but that doesn't mean we can't improve the system here i think we can improve the system i think we can get rid of a lot of the bureaucracy that's in that system and I think actually that would be welcomed by planning itself as well um, because I think we've just been adding and adding to um, things over the years
ideas and planning is one of those areas where I think we need to completely look at the legislation again as well. The Town and Country Planning Act, all the regulations, the environmental policies, everything that flows off that. Because if you go through, there is very much um, a bias to environmental policies and everything else. But there's not much about economic growth in those policies, about economic benefit. And I think we need to be building that into our planning system as well if we're going to move the island forward. And Phil, I think that point that you made there about big developers being happy with the existing Manx planning policy, I believe you 100%, right? Because I can see that it is so complicated that what seems to be happening is that there'll be a big, big developers um, and they will submit one plan and they'll get it approved, 200 copies of that, over and over and over again. And we see that on the outskirts of Castletown at the moment where, where such a, a complex is being built. And so that makes it difficult for a small developer such as Kell Properties, which I'm obviously associated with. And here we have a situation where they're a small operator. They're looking to build, what, five or six uh, apartments or, or 10 apartments, I think it is in total, uh, in the centre of town. It, it's a niche proposal for a small and complicated site and so therefore that's why it takes eight months for this to even be heard before it even gets to the planning committee so because you know as, as Peter was saying before you know someone's got to write 56 pages about it and it's silly and and leave aside the bureaucracy here one of the things that we need to consider is that there's a real cost of these delays and that cost is is, un, is unreasonably uh, and unfairly being borne by the young families on the Isle of Man in their 20s and 30s because they're unable to, to find a home. They're unable to therefore build a family, to have kids and, 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 to, and to build a family and a life here on the Isle of Man. I have friends uh, who, who as, as a couple, they move into their parents' home so they can save up money for accommodation it's because they are unable to afford a deposit because there is such a excessive uh, constriction of the supply of housing. And that's why the, the, in the last 15 years, the number of houses being built here on the Isle of Man just to replace the existing stock has fallen in half. By 15, you, know, when you used to build 400 homes a year, now we're only building 200 homes a year. And the real cost that it's hidden uh, for young families right across the Isle of Man. Just um, focusing then on on the the uh, the Kell properties and the, uh, the 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 development on uh, nuisance, uh, which really uh, was what drew my attention into this, as as well of course as the uh, the government's economic strategy, which references in a in a fairly vague and and uh, overarching way that there needs to be some change to planning, but it doesn't really specify exactly what that change needs to be. Uh, but we, we'll maybe come on a little bit more to, to that uh, as we go through the programme. Specifically then, what was it that Kell Properties felt that was wrong with the planning system in, in relation to, to this particular development? So there's two parts. Of that. First of all, was the process. It took eight months to even get a hearing. Uh, and then after the hearing came through, obviously Kell Properties, as the advocate uh, of, of the proposal, um, was disappointed with the outcome, which was the rejection. And so we had a petition of 520 people that signed a petition to, to redevelop and rebuild that site. Um, anyone in Central Douglas or anyone across the Isle of Man knows that the building, can see the building is literally falling down. Uh, and, so, and so I guess that's the two parts of this. One is, um, you know, we've got to protect those things that are truly valuable. Um, but there are some things that are old um, and that, that, that is different to being valuable. And so they're really beautiful buildings that we need to protect and preserve here on the Isle of Man, um, but that is a different group of buildings to those that are merely old. But in, in relation to this building, presumably when it was bought, 
it was in the state that it's currently in, was it? Yeah, so so it was it was bought um, some years ago. Um, it was not at that time a, a registered building. Uh, it was subsequently subsequently registered, uh, and and now we're we're left with that as it is. And do we know why it was registered? I mean, maybe so. The, the the application form is very very clear on that. In that it was registered as a building because it was old. The, the the application to register the building does not even attempt to make the argument that it is a beautiful building or it is a valuable building, but it does make the argument that it is an old building. And and old things can be good and old things can be valuable, but not all old things are valuable. And that's what I think we need to differentiate here uh, on that particular site in that in that the building has had no maintenance for for thirty something years. Uh, it was literally, literally falling apart. You know, we have rats there, we have plants growing out the side of the thing, uh, and so and so we need to differentiate between those things that are merely old uh, and those things that are valuable. You're listening to a perspective planning special. I'm guessing, uh, Peter, you may have a, a slightly different take on this. Um. Right. Well, buildings are registered principally for two reasons. Uh, one is their age and rarity, and then the other is their architectural importance in terms of what they offer to the streetscape or designed by a a famous architect or whatever. Now, the trouble is the registration document just merely says it is registered because of its architectural importance or its uh, age and whatever, whereas on the file there is probably not a 56-page report, but a several-page report going through uh, what is important about it. And with nuisance, um, to the best of my knowledge, the importance was its age. It's built in the 1700s, and there's only one other building in Douglas that goes back that far, which is in John Street. Um, It is and always has been a warehouse, and it's different to all the other warehouses that there were on the quayside, which were gable end on, in that this was flank on uh, and the only one of, of its case, and the last warehouse left on Douglas Quay. So as far as I know, that was the reason. Now, in terms of its condition, as you say, when it was bought, or as Michael said, when it was bought, it was in the same condition as it is now or thereabouts. Um, there have been reports on the building, um, one of the earlier reports, which Kell Properties actually um, had done, pointed out the growth, the need to point uh, between the stones, etc. But none of that has been done. The, it doesn't have windows, it has shutters. And ever since then, the shutters have been wide open. So when it rains, um, thunder, lightning, whatever, it all goes in, soaks into the floor, soaks into the joists, etc. That, that there's been no effort uh, to preserve it in any shape or form. Uh, in terms of um, falling down, uh, again, there, there was a, a report came forward saying it's in imminent danger of collapse. And eight months later, it's still there. It hasn't That's because connected. of these great big trusses that are put up in the, in the street to hold it up. Yeah, no, they're not holding it up. Did you not know? They are holding up. You no, 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 they're not holding anything up. If you look, they don't touch the building. They're up in front. Now, if the building was falling uh, between the steelwork and the building, you would put in wooden wedges. All there is are little wooden boxes out of a six by one. Um, which goes through. If the building moved, they they would just collapse. Um, And uh, it is not being propped up. 
the report which Kell Properties had done um, uh, referred to there was a weakness in the back wall and in the southeast corner, which was on the corner of the little shop. Neither of those have been propped up. What's been propped up is what's seen by, by the public, except it's not propped up. It's there. And what was said at the planning meeting I was at it uh, by the engineer was, it's there in case the building should move forward, then it would catch it. Now, anybody who's dealt with Manxstone, and I know you've built in Manxstone, Phil, will know that if a wall is, is going to go and move, you're not going to stop it moving by touching it in a couple of places because the whole wall will just belly out uh, and go. So it's a little cosmetic in my mind, uh, all this propping on the front. Michael, um, you want to come back in on that? Yeah, look, the building is obviously decrepit. Uh, and and so I'd, I, I, any any of any listener to this can go down and have a look at the at the at the state of the building themselves. It is plain and obvious for people to see. Uh, and then you know I think the next step is is how do we make the best use of of the centre of Douglas and and that that building uh, is the only one left because in that whole region uh, people have found better and more productive uses for for that land. In that in that you know you have so many. What, Great restaurants down there. You know, you have the family-friendly Barbary Coast. You have the the Little Fish Cafe. You have the Fourteen North. These great places that celebrate a whole range uh, of entertainment. You know, you also have just pizza and pasta. You know, where where you know families go and enjoy. And so that's a whole whole stretch of 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 properties that really should be the jewel in our crown. Uh, and instead, you know, we have this building where where the where the where tiles are at risk of falling off, where there is, uh, you know, clear risk and, and, and clear opportunity to, to make it better. So we leave something better for, for the next generation. Is, is there, though, I mean, maybe it's just me, uh, but uh, the thought of going to a, a restaurant which you could describe potentially as being in a building from the days of the smugglers um, seems to me to have some level of attraction to it. Is there any value in, in heritage uh, in, in, in the, the world in which you, you hope to live in the next 20 or 30 years? So, so I think there is, but but I think we need to be re- returned to the actual realities of the building, that it is crumbling, it is unviable in its current state to be used. Uh, you know, there's obviously a whole bunch of requirements relating to disability access and so on. There's a whole bunch of requirements in regards to the safety of, of buildings and walls staying up. Uh, and so, and so, Ultimately, if you want to run a restaurant in an in an elderly building, then you know, pony up the money. Um, but in the in the in the meantime, there are other people who have looked at the building. They have considered and 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 submitted ideas for to rehabilitate the building, but found that when it gets to the nuts and bolts of it, it's not a, it's not viable because of the decrepit state of that 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 building. Uh, there was a planning application that was was approved uh, three or four years ago. Uh, but it never went ahead because it turned out that it wasn't possible to do to do the rehabilitation in a manner that was safe uh, and and viable and and so that's why i think it's really important you know if 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 it's all this talk is all well and well and good but here's a guy who's put up you know wanting to put up 8 million quid of his of his own money to 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 invest in rehabilitating that site all this talk is wiffle waffle by others of oh, i would have i should have i could have or whatever is 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 nonsense because it's not there's no skin in the game, and so if you want to, like, I, I don't, I don't, so I, don't, I think that that really comes down to the real core point here is that we need to move on. In that the the site, 
you know, if we wanted to rehabilitate it, that would have been a good good argument or good conversation point uh, when when Peter started his his career um, back in the 1960s. That would have been a good thing because that probably would have been possible before the building decayed. But now we've had this building. No one's, you know, really cared for it for more than 30 years. Uh, if we wanted, to, if we were living in 1980 or 1990, we could we could do something about it. But now we're living in 2022, uh, and that time has passed. David Ashford, then, I mean, is there is there a role for history in the future, um, or, or is is that all past and gone now? No, I think there is. I think there is a role for history, and things can be repurposed. We've actually shown that across the island with various different buildings over the years. But I, I, I mean, I've, I'm sort of I'm quite literally sat in the middle here, and um, I think I am I am actually in the middle because I think both Peter and Michael both have valid points in the fact that you don't want to lose all the history. You don't want to end up with a montage of just pure glass, modern buildings everywhere. But equally, you've got to look at whether a building is able to be repurposed. Um, the phrase I always use is all history started somewhere. Um, like when people talk about Timwald, you know, the Vikings made a big change when they brought Timwald in. It was a new system um, of government. And, you know, there was probably people at the time saying we don't want this newfangled Timwald thing. Um, so the, there has to be a balance. But I don't think we should lose sight of our history. And I think it is right that in the planning laws, it, uh, the historic value is actually considered. Um, but the difficult balance, and this is what you referred to at the start of the programme, Phil, is where do you put that balance? Where is that tipping point between um, between what is of historic value and what is being maintained simply because it is historic? And for me, that difficult balance has always come down to looking at things on an individual merits basis. I think it's very hard to have one catch-all policy um, and it is something planning struggles with. I mean, I can't speak being chairman of planning on individual applications because it will then conflict me because mine's a statutory role about anything going forward. Um, but of course, when there's been some of these debates, particularly around certain buildings, the planning committee itself has been split and there's been split votes on planning with some thinking a building can be retained, others thinking it can't. And I think that's something you'll never remove from the planning system I think there will always be controversial applications um, from the point of view of and split opinions on both sides and I think that's what the planning systems there are in those cases and mediation but certainly you know it shouldn't take eight months for applications to get through the system and actually before a committee because as Michael said there's a cost to that and there's people who have put money up front to try and develop things and we need outcomes early on. So again, I come back to the point where for me, planning reform is more around the bureaucracy of the system and also making sure that there is potential weightings in terms of economic growth and encouragement of brownfield site use. Is part of the problem here that government wants to have its cake and eat it uh, in as much as, uh, you know, we, I think most people on the Isle of Man recognise the value of of heritage, um, you know, I, I, we I, all do. I don't think there'd be many people, for example, who would suggest that Castletown can solve its parking problem by uh, knocking the castle down and and building a multi-story <laughs> car park. So, you know, at some point, the you know, everyone is on board with heritage, but gradually over 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 the distance of of arguments, you can you, you'll find you lose people along the way. But government wants to ha have legislation to protect historically important buildings. Um, but unlike uh, a number of uh, neighbouring countries, 
we don't put any money up to actually help people, property owners like Kel Properties, to actually preserve these buildings. Again, though, I think I think it's a fine balance because otherwise you could end up with an awful lot of public funding going into private property owners' hands to try and maintain buildings that they've purchased. Now, now, now obviously, people can purchase a building and then it can end up being registered, um, as has happened on many occasions. We've just been speaking about one of those today that can put um, then pressure on that particular property owner. I think, like I say, for me, um, as both an MHK and an individual, it's about that fine balance. And the fact something is old doesn't necessarily make it historic. And I think it's having that recognition in the planning system and it's then balancing it off around economic um, benefit, environmental benefit, and where does that fine balance go? And that's one of the reasons we have a planning committee. So we have a committee of lay people who can actually hear all the evidence from both sides, a bit like a tribunal or a court really, can hear the evidence from both sides and can come to a informed opinion from their point of view as to which way it should go. Now, sometimes... That will go one way and sometimes it will go the other. Um, and basically, what I, I think planning is always one of those things, a bit like health and social care, really, where whatever decision you take, you're bound to upset someone somewhere. Um, and there's never going to be a right solution for everyone because it always is, at the end of the day, deciding you either agree with the applicant or you agree with the objectors. Peter Kelly, I, I was talking in, in, I forget which programme it was now, a, f- a few weeks ago anyway, to Kirsty Neat from Manx National Heritage, who was talking about the, uh, is it the centenary of the museum? or It's the centenary yeah. of it moving yeah. into the building into it's that in. Building, I mean, yeah. the museum's been going since 1886, yeah. but it was 1922 when it moved into the old that, hospital. That'll be yeah. the one. Um, and at the time that they were talking about moving in there, um, the the people engaged, you know, the, the, the greats of, of, of Manx Heritage uh, were being told by people, well, there's nothing on the Isle of Man. We don't really have much by way of heritage. There's very little uh, of, of merit uh, in a poverty-stricken place like the Isle of Man. Um, and yet, in the age we live in, it, it, you could argue the opposite. Uh, that actually, maybe we've got too much heritage, and perhaps that's, uh, that's where government's coming from here. Well, I don't know about having too much heritage. You've got to... I mean, I know of planners in the past, uh, they've long since retired and some of them have died, um, but each year plans weren't considered during August. There was a break during August. And and these planners would go off to um, planning schools, refresher courses, and they'd come back and say, oh, wonderful buildings in Chester, wonderful buildings. We've nothing like that here. Well, this is where you've, you've got to say, well, hang on, what is the best of what is here? Because you're not going to get a half-timbered building here. You're not going to get a Yorkstone uh, church or minster or, or whatever. And you've got to judge it on, on, on what's here and then set your criteria as to what's important and what's less important. Old buildings have been demolished. In fact, streets of old buildings uh, have been to one, one side of Albert Street has gone. Now you've got a courthouse there um, and, and part of Books Road at the same time. Um, so, no, you can't keep everything. You've got to decide why. And there is purpose in registering buildings. It goes through a process. Now, uh, when it's decided within the planning office that this building um, you know, should be considered for registration, there's a little press notice saying the planning committee are considering registering nuisance or whatever. 
Um, that gives the opportunity to the public to write in and say, jolly good idea, we support that, or the owner to say, no, no way, I don't want it. Then they make the initial decision, not to register, but whether it's worthy of registering, and then it goes forward um, and goes through the process in office as to whether to register or not. And then when it's registered, the notice is served on the owner and to the local authority, this building is now registered. And the owner has 21 days, I think it is, in which to actually appeal against the registration. And it can go through then to an inspector to decide whether it was worthy or not. In this case, not, none of that happened in the sense there was no objection to, there was no, no appeal. So the, the owner has actually accepted that the building was registered. The, the now, owner overlooked that paperwork, unfortunately. Sorry? The, the owner overlooked, they just didn't notice that paperwork when it came through, which is unfortunate because you're right, it should have been debated when it was yeah, yeah, well, if he overlooked it, I mean, that's his fault. Uh, but what I'm saying, there is a system and, and the system uh, was followed. And... Um, with any registered thing, you know, once it's registered, you have certain things in which you have to comply with, uh, including what has happened here, that the department, I don't know whether David knows, served a notice saying, right, you, you own a registered building, you, you need to do the following repairs, which haven't been done. And now there's a court case uh, next month um, with an appeal against the notice that was served. But we're getting too much into, into detail there. But with any other registered building, uh, you have to comply with these requirements, which again, if you uh, make a planning application for a registered building, you have to make two applications. One is the standard planning application, and the second is a registered building. And I have known of cases where a registered building has received planning approval, but has not received registered building um, consent, and, and, and therefore that the thing can't go ahead. Um, can I just go back to housing? Uh, and talks of numbers of housing less and less. Uh, going back s several years, half the houses that were built each year were local authorities. Now, I ask you, how many local authority houses are getting built? Very Doug few. Doug uh, yeah, 12 last calendar year. Yeah. Douglas Corporation, you see, uh, and quite rightly spending money, a lot of money, on refurbishing the housing stock. Onkin commissioners have been spending money on refurbishing the the last um well i suppose the last local authority houses onkin built was in fact four years ago but it was just a couple of flats uh, down in the corner of up the park but in terms of large scheme the local authorities haven't looked ahead and bought land the land has been bought by the developers and, and the developers are probably three of them uh, are the ones who or the ones being re referred to, uh, they had the foresight. Uh, and they, they did exactly the same as L.L. Corkle, the late L.L. Corkle did in the 1930s. He bought the land around Douglas at Onkin. He owned the house drake. He owned out Tremode. Um, so he knew eventually, <laughs> and he didn't live long enough. <laughs> he lived till he was 90 or so, but he didn't live long enough to benefit from his foresight, but others have since then. But certainly in terms of houses being built, there are three developers who are building the houses, apart from the odd one that's squeezed in between building plots. But local authorities aren't. David Ashford, is, is it 
purely wishful thinking on government's part that uh, the 15,000 new people that are supposed to be coming to the island are all going to live in uh, properties uh, refurbished or rebuilt on brownfield sites? Uh, no, it's a mix. Um, government policy is, I've got to be very clear, Phil, government policy isn't that it will just be on brownfield sites. It's hard there to isn't, get any minister committed the, um, to give numbers on what might be well, built on Well, you can get a former field. minister committed. Right, um, okay. is, that, is that obviously there isn't enough brownfield sites to accommodate all that. And some of the brownfield sites, particularly in Douglas, will lend itself more to flats rather than family homes. And also affordable housing needs to be done as well in order to encourage encourage many people in um, but the, the the point the government makes is that it's got to be a mixture um, we've got these brownfield sites there and it shouldn't be an automatic turning to a new land to we should be trying to encourage and develop and the Manx Development Corporation um, I know has been doing a lot of work in this area we're already seeing some of the repurposing of the nurses home people are able to physically see that in action um, I know they've got a lot of schemes ready with other sites as well that will hopefully be able to be announced um, personally I hope very very soon um, because that work was underway when I was Treasury Minister um, and that will actually then start developing some of the other brownfield sites but it does have to be a mixture but I think what always sticks in people's throats is when they see lots of fresh land being developed when they see what are these eyesores sat around areas such as Douglas such as Onken that haven't been developed Um, and I think if people are seeing a mixture of the two then that's actually when they'll begin to understand that you know we're going to be able to put the services in place to attract people in but housing is absolutely fundamental Um, there hasn't been enough development of fresh housing particularly affordable housing and Peter's right in terms of the local authorities and even those few local authorities that have been built so Migra first to the 12 in the last calendar a year most of that is replacing existing stock even yeah. where it is a new build they physically knocked yeah. down and rebuilt um, so for instance Janet's Corner when that was done um, was replacing stock that was already there it wasn't a complete new build adding to the number of local authority houses and we're going to have to, if we're going to move forward as an island, have a mix of all types of housing. Um, I've always said the housing debate always comes around first-time buyers. It's not about first-time buyers. It's about first-time buyers, second-time buyers, um, even downsizing. Um, I have constituents up in Douglas North that will happily want to downsize, but There's nowhere for them to downsize to. They can't get the bungalow that they want um, without paying an excessive price. In fact, I've got one constituent where the bungalow they want to downsize to is actually of a higher value than the house they're actually in, um, which is crazy because they want to be able to pass some of that money on to the children and can't do so if they go to downsize. They'll have to find additional money. So it's about all that mix and also having first-time buyers and local authority schemes as well. Um, We need to look at housing policy across the piece and you'll know yourself, Phil, from when you were a minister, the obsession is always with first-time buyers. And we need to get over that obsession and look at our housing planning um, across all of the different types of housing stock. Yeah, and I think David is really spot on there in making the point that we need a variety of housing for a variety of different families and that the, the nature of families living on the Isle of Man and their housing needs has changed substantially over the last quarter century. We see people getting married later, getting divorced sooner, 
And so what might have previously been a, a home for mum, dad and a couple of kids, now you have separated families and so dad wants a f- house for, for dad and the couple of kids and, and mum wants a house for mum and the couple of kids. And so there's a great big increase in the demand for housing. In addition, more people are working from home, which is causing further uh, demand for people to have a you know spare room or some sort of office sort, sort of type area. Uh, and in addition, people are living longer. Uh, and so all those things mean that despite the population being relatively stable for the last, last little bit, there is an increasing demand for housing. And so that's why we have a real, a real trade-off here in that if we, if we want people to be able to live happy, healthy lives, then we need to build shelter for humans to live in. Just f- finally on, on the, 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 well, maybe not so finally, in relation to planning applications, I mean, there aren't that many rejected, are there? As I recall, when I was uh, planning minister, there would be maybe something in the region of 100 applications a month, of which maybe four or five appeals that I would have to consider as, as minister. So um, there's not that many um, applications really go to appeal, and there's very few applications actually uh, get rejected. There is. The percentage is very small, but I, th- I think actually, though, it's more the perception because, of course, those that tend to be rejected or are controversial and come before the planning committee are the ones that tend to get the most media attention, tend to get the most public ab- attention because there's objectors um, to it. There's also supporters on the other side as well. And so they're the ones that tend to play out in the newspapers, on the radio, um, in the public sphere. So people are more um, are sort of more broad into the process for those applicants applications where you're right and in fact in terms of general applications um there's you know it, it, the vast majority are actually decided outside of the planning committee the vast majority are officer decisions around things like permitted development and things that don't actually need to go as far as the planning committee so that's why i've always focused on i've been talking about the process behind that because a lot of the delays are the actual process themselves that people and the hoops that people have to jump through we need to be making that easier for people um, on both sides, both as objectors and also for the applicants themselves. And, and, and Michael, I mean, in relation to the, the Kell Properties application, having read, which I did, the, the planning decision, uh, what was pretty clear from that, certainly from what I was reading, was that uh, Kell Properties just didn't provide sufficient information to convince uh, the, the committee that uh, it was worth uh, or, or there was a, a strong enough case to actually demolish uh, what was a registered build, or what is a registered building. Yeah, and so I think it's unfortunate that the planning committee made that decision. Uh, disagree strongly with that decision, uh, and so in in the aftermath of that, the, um, the the company was had been intending on selling a property and saying, look, you know, this is too hard. We'll let someone else do it. Um, but then, in subsequent to that, there was a quite a significant outpouring to to, to our surprise uh, in that, although we were mindful that there were over 500 people who signed a petition in support of the development even before the planning committee. Uh, the comments that we received from from people on social media, you know, even listening to, to callers um, into the Manon line, uh, listening to personal messages of support and so on, in that we think that the planning committee got it wrong, uh, in that we think that the centre of Douglas should be, a, should be an icon, not an eyesore. Uh, and so in that sense... That's why we're now a plan, appealing against that decision, uh, and and that appeal will be heard uh, through whatever the right procedures are. So, so I mean, what what reasons would you say you gave as as a property developer uh, that would warrant uh, effectively demolition of a registered building? Sure. So the reason to do it is that first of all, it creates 
a better environment for the people uh, of Douglas because it's about improving that First of all, uh, in terms of the hospitality trade, um, that whole area of, of North Quay and Douglas used to be known as the Barbary Coast, um, not named after the pub, but rather because there used to be a whole whole chain of you know fun and engaging hospitality outlets. Um, and so that was on the ground floor. Uh, and then on the on the upper floors, the plan was to build a, a number of apartments. Um, you know, they would probably not be first home buyers, uh, but they would rather be an attempt to make almost last last home buyers for people who 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 wanted to live in the center of town uh, it was designed uh, with a manner that was very environmentally sensitive uh, and so it was about using lo- local um, and high quality building material with a low carbon cost uh, and to also by virtue of being right in the center of town there um, there would be little need for for driving and all that other associated but but you must have known that the building was registered um, yeah, uh, so yeah. so you you put in the application you know that to overcome the registration and, and effectively demolish uh, a registered building you have to give pretty sound and strong evidence to support your application so so what was what was that information what was the evidence that you provided yeah, so uh, the evidence is provided first of all the opportunity the potential to build something better for the future uh, and then second of all in terms of considering the the value of the building as it is uh, it's our view that that building has relatively little value as demonstrated by the fact it's falling down as demonstrated by the fact that no one else has wanted to do anything with it for for more than a quarter of a century now uh, and so we think that there's an opportunity there to do something good and we think that is a compelling case and you know, I accept that the five members of the planning committee voted three two against it, but the planning committee does not contain all the knowledge in the world. They are not perfect humans. We think they made an error, and so we disagree with that. And so now we will go through that appeals process. But the planning committee also followed the advice that was given to them, as I understood it, anyway, by by the yeah. They, they made judgments. They're, they're humans. They made judgments mm. based on their evaluation, uh, and and so I recognise deeply that there is a that there is a balancing. That needs to be made there, and there needs to, and that reasonable humans can have differing, differing views, and that Peter here is is a, is a reasonable human, um, and we value these things differently. And that's not wrong. It doesn't mean that Peter is a bad person. Uh, we just b- balance these things differently, and so I I consider, you know, the opportunities to to rehabilitate North Quay in, in Douglas. I consider the opportunities to build build homes for humans. I consider all those things versus what I see. Now, just as a layperson, you know, I don't, I'm not no, no expert on on building construction and so on. But I can see as a, as, a, as a layperson that that site has been decrepit for 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 a long time now, and and we can do we can do better because I think the Isle of Man has such a bright and positive future that we should build so that so that we build buildings so that in a hundred t- years time people can look back and say, hey, look, wasn't it good that in 2022 they built this this great building that that rehabilitates uh, this site in the centre of Douglas that creates jobs for humans, uh, creates housing for humans and, and, and makes Douglas a place that we want to build our life and to create families in. Peter, um, good to know that you're you're a reasonable human. Um, well, yes, you have to tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have to get the wife to testify at the next planning committee hearing. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, so, I mean... Of all the buildings that we could be discussing, this is probably not top of the list in terms of uh, the need for preservation, or, or, or would you argue differently? The nunnery is not registered, and should be, right? This is registered, so we have to treat it as being registered. Um, 
you were leading Michael into, but he didn't follow it up, um, that the planning committee, uh, to a degree based, well, to a great degree, their decision on their officer's recommendation. Um, and, of course, the department had engaged an engineer, uh, um, well-qualified engineer with old buildings, who said, no, it's not going to fall down. You need to repair this, you need to repair that, and so on. It was interesting to sit there and see the planning committee um, and the two that voted in favour. Now, one of those kept saying, is the red brick building part of it? Now, there is no red brick building. And the plans on the, on the screen, there was no red brick building. Uh, and, and another one who voted in favour said, that building at the end, which was one of the two the far side of what used to be the paint pot, um, are those the corporation flats? And, and, you know, you're sitting there thinking, they don't understand it. They're not understanding the plan. Uh, and they voted in favour. Um, but that's that's the way it goes. Um, yeah, th there are plenty of buildings out there still which have not been registered. This was registered for a reason. Whether you agree with that reason or not, it is registered. And therefore, if you want to do something with it, you need permission. If you want to have it deregistered, you have to go through a process to have it deregistered and then maybe it frees you up. The problem, as I saw it, with the application was it covered several properties. Now, if they had applied separately for these two, for the uh, merchant's house, as it's now called the paint pot, as it was, for that, uh, and then the, the gap separately from the end, then you probably had two-thirds of your application approved. But they didn't. They put it in as one. So having gone in as one, it fell as one. Um, the, the chairman of the planning committee did point out um, that um, media, um, advertising, advertorials, uh, petitions, online petitions, are not considered by the planning committee. They deal with what is before them, and he made that quite clear. And it was interesting that the head of planning, who was there, uh, actually said to the committee, you have to consider this building as if it were in a good state of repair. That was architectural historian Peter Kelly, planning chair David Ashford and Kell Properties representative Michael Josem. Any clearer on what needs to change? I'm Phil Gorn, Goromayus and Geishakrom. Thanks for listening.